Gracious Heavenly Father, we do come now and we do recognize and we sing and we believe that Christ is our Redeemer King, that He is sitting at Your right hand now, ruling and reigning in the hearts of Your people and will come to rule and reign forever for all eternity. Father, as we as we open Your Word, I pray for Your your spirit to move even in and through the words that I would speak, that your spirit would move and work in the ears of the listeners, that that we would grow in our knowledge of Christ, we would grow in the grace of Christ. We would we would know more how to pray. We would Pray in a way that we were taught by our King. Father, be be glorified, be made great even in this morning service. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Guests. I was uh, negligent in one of my duties last Lord's Day. Uh, I, uh, I did make an announcement on a Wednesday. But the announcement on the Wednesday was uh, was not what I normally do. I was I was made aware, so I want to make sure that I stand up here and tell you that Sadie Ann Lincoln was born to Matthew and Callie on June twentieth, twenty twenty three. Most of us have now met her. If you haven't, she's now here with us. She was seven pounds and twelve ounces and nineteen inches. God was very kind to Callie in the the shortness of the labor. And I want everyone to know that like all newborn babies, she is an incredible blessing and an amazing creation of God. That's what she is. Uh, I was reminded this week, uh, as I'm reminded most weeks, and I'm sure you are too, of this this, this world that we live in. The, the lunacy, the absolute lunacy of the world that we live in right now. And I, I know nothing's new under the sun. And I, I'm aware that this has been going on since all creation, but I, I just live, we live in a place that it, it is, it is, it is lunacy. We have a, we have a, we have a assistant secretary for health. Okay. For health. For the United States of America, a man named Richard Levine who actually wears dresses and calls himself Rachel Levine. This man has an ex-wife and two children. This man is under a deep psychotic issue. He is very unhealthy, and yet he's an assistant secretary for health. We We have lunacy. We have a world where we actually... We, in this in this rule we live in, not we, this country, this people group, this this landmass, this these folks, we actually think that it's okay to mutilate children by 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 cutting them and slicing them and dicing them and trying to make them different than God made them. We we actually live in a place where divorce is just normal. 
I was hearing the other day, I'm going to get this wrong, but this is close. Something like 25% of 40-year-olds now have never, or 30-year-olds now, have never been married. A quarter of people get to age 40 and, and, and are never married. Because, because we live in a, in a place that, that doesn't value marriage at all. It's lunacy. It's absolute craziness. We, we celebrate for an entire month what God calls sin. That's the place we live. Something that's so heinous and, and, and sexually immoral. We live in a place that celebrates that. That exposes our children to that. It's lunacy. It's so far from God's design. We, we, we have a president who is in late stages of dementia. It's, it's, it's absurd. So what are we to do about it? What are we to do about it? Romans 1 beginning in verse 24. And I say, this is the description of the world we live in. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Is that not what we see with transgenderism? And I mean, I, pronouns, you know, calling a single person they, what is that? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. It wasn't enough that God sent AIDS to the homosexual community as a sign of Judgment fought, fought our way through that and just stayed with it. And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips and slanderers, haters of God. Can we be any more hateful toward God in the culture we live in? I don't really think we could if we tried. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So one thing we are to do is to not give approval to those who practice these things in any way, shape, or form. In our families, in our extended families, in our communities. It's, it's not with a hateful heart, but we will not give approval to these heinous things. We will not call a she a he or a they or a them. We will not call Richard Levine, Rachel Levine. We will not call Bruce Jenner, I don't even know, Caitlin, is it? That's Bruce Jenner. That's not hateful. 
That is refusing to give any sort of approval to their practice. What else are we to do? Ephesians 5. Beginning in verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice of God, to God. But here's, here's what we're to do. But sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. No partnership with them. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We are to call this sexual morality, sexual morality. We are to call this lunacy, lunacy. We're to call men, men, and women, women. We are to, we are to stand that marriage is a, is, a, is a God-ordained thing that ought not be separated. We are to expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We are to expose them, not to show how good we are and how bad they are. We're to expose their evilness so that they might see Christ. So that they might see Christ. Out of this world that is that it, God has turned over, there are God's people waiting to be saved, and they must see their sin that they can see their need for Christ. So we're to expose these things with love and with clarity and with no backing down. And and you, you know what then he goes on to talk about to the church at Ephesus. After he tells them this, he, he tells them to be filled with the Spirit. And here's what else we're supposed to do. Wives, interact with husbands in the right way. Husbands, interact with wives in the right way. Children, interact with parents. Parents, interact with children. Workers, interact with your employers. Employers, interact with your workers. Go live a life that makes God look great. That's how you're going to combat this lunacy. That's how we're going to combat this lunacy. We're going to stand on truth. We're going to expose darkness. We're going to show people Christ. And we're going to live differently than the world around us. So we're not going to counsel other people to be divorced. We're not going to counsel to let other people have their children 
be free to do what they would do. We're not going to call good evil and evil good, and we're not going to live evil, and we're not going to we're going to live good. By the grace of God, we're going to live in ways that make God look great. That's what we're going to do. We're going to expose sin. We're going to call sin sin. We're not going to partner with sin. We're not going to we're not going to affirm the the, the, the sinful living of the world around us, we're not going to affirm in any way, shape, or form. I say this because it it just it's really clear to see where we're headed. We're headed to where talking the way I'm talking right now will become illegal. It will become hate speech. It's already you can't be in certain environments unless you Use correct pronouns. Well, you know what then? I can't be in those environments, and neither can you. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to mock our president, but we're going to point out his delusion where delusion's present. We're going to live rightly in the church, in our families, and in the workplace to make God look great. That's how we're going to combat it. Amen? All right, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we're on week three of looking at the model prayer. And remember, it's not a, it's, this isn't a prayer to be recited. It's as a re- vain repetition in Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus is talking about the Lord's Prayer, pray then like this. Pray in this manner. It's a template of how we are to pray. I was, when I was getting ready this week, I was, I was thinking back to when, back in 2010, uh, we preached through the book of Matthew at our old church building. And some of you came, we were talking last night with the Cunninghams, they came towards the latter end, towards the end of that. I think we're in Matthew over three years, and we preached this. And I can remember preaching through the model prayer. And I can remember how transforming it was for our church body. It was transformational. People were, were, were being, their minds were being renewed, and prayer lives were being changed. And there was many testimonies coming out of our church family. And then in 2015, we went through a series, something we don't do very often. We didn't, we weren't pre- preaching uh, uh, expositorily, we went and preached topically on prayer for a while. And we revisited this prayer. And, and again, there was, there was lots of transformation. I, I went back and listened briefly to a couple of the sermon reviews in those times and listened to people talk about how it was just changing the way they were praying. And it kind of brought me a little bit of a concern for us. Maybe God's using this to really change the way we're thinking and praying. And maybe we just think we're maybe too mature or too, I don't know, we've heard it all before. But I know for me personally, this, this week, the, these last weeks, it, it's changing the way I pray. It's actually changing the way I think. So my encouragement would be that, that you would listen in a way to be different. And some of you have given testimonies of how this is affecting your prayer life. 
And it's, it's interesting because it's, it's, it's newer Christians that are talking that way. And that's what we had a lot more of in 2010 and 2015. We have a lot more seasoned saints, if you will. We always ought to be learning, oughtn't we? We have to humble ourselves before the Word of God and be different. So I'm hoping that will continue to be part of who we are. So now stand as I read Luke 11, 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. You may be seated. This template, this outline, this, this way that Jesus is teaching us to pray, starting out with addressing our Father. This Father who loves us and who is for us and will never abandon us and who will keep us and will chasten us. And we're to, we're to pray to our Father. I'm hoping that we actually think about that, who we're praying to, who He is in our lives, beloved, really who He is, not some distant ogre that doesn't care about us or that's just waiting to swoop in and beat us. We have a Father who loves us and cares for us and, yes, chastens us. That's who we pray to. And hallowed be your name. The first petition then is, is holy be your name. Make your name great. Use all things, including me and us, to show your greatness. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come now. Your kingdom come now spiritually via salvation and sanctification. Your kingdom come physically with the return of Jesus Christ to rule and reign. We talked about it a little bit last week, but do you pray your kingdom come? Or are we so attached to this world that we really wouldn't want His kingdom to come? Come, Lord Jesus. We, we've been talking about and we can clearly see that our prayer is not to be about us. Rather, our prayer is to be about God. Our prayer is not to be about our will. It's about lining our wills up with His revealed will. That's what prayer is to be about. He is our perfect Father. He is holy, holy, holy. He is to be made much of. It is His kingdom that we desire to come as Jesus made Lord of of, of people's lives and as as He sanctifies us. And now, now there's like a switch of focus here, maybe, um, from God to us. Give us, forgive us, deliver us, protect us. Sometimes I think people think, okay, we've acknowledged God's sovereignty in our prayer. We've acknowledged His fatherhood. We've acknowledged His, His greatness. Now... Let's go with the demands. Now let's start with the gimmies. Got that handled. Now let's go tell him what we want. And and the prosperity gospel would say, absolutely, that's what we're into now. Now we're ready to start 
telling him what we want. Well, Jesus isn't teaching us that. Jesus is not instructing us to now turn from praying focused on God to praying focused on ourselves. Even as we pray these things, give us and forgive us and deliver us. As we're praying these things, it's still with a focus on who God is. Jesus does tell us to pray to God to give us each day our daily bread. Now, we'll probably talk, we will talk about this ongoingly, but I want to highlight something right here. Give us each day our daily bread. Prayer is not give me. It's give us. Give us. Now, I'm part of us, and there may be prayers I say that pertain to me, but I am praying with a mindset for all of God's people, certainly the people I'm in relationship with here. Not give me my daily bread. Give us. Give Tony. Give Jonathan. Give Kathleen. Give us. Our prayers ought not be self-focused. Again, they're about who God is and and who we are. So give. Dido me. To make, to cause, to give, to produce, to cause to happen. Used particularly in relationship to physical events. So, so this word here is in the present tense. It means it's an ongoing action. It's also in the imperative mood. What that means, it's a, it's a command. It's an exhortation it's a, or a polite request. It's, it's not an expression of reality, but it's one of possibility. So, so when we pray, it's in the imperative mood. So we are saying in an ongoing action, give us. But we are not commanding God to do. We are simply asking for what he has already told us he will do. What, what we're praying for is our daily bread. Each day, each day, our daily bread. Now, it is true that Jesus is the bread of heaven that God sent down. It is true that he is the bread of life. It is true that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word. It is good to pray that Jesus would never leave us or forsake us because he said he wouldn't. But this prayer is about literal bread. This prayer is about the provision of physical needs. The word is artas. It means a loaf of bread, food, or any kind of nourishment. And so more broadly, it's about our physical needs is what we actually are to be praying for. We're praying not to make demands of God. We're not telling Him what He must do. We're affirming what He has promised to do. This is important. We pray for our physical needs. We're not praying telling him what to do, commanding him what to do. We're simply affirming, acknowledging what he's already promised to do. We are are not demanding anything outside of what his revealed will for us is. It puts some parameters to how we would pray then, wouldn't it? 
Our prayer is acknowledging God as the one who provides all these things. It's not focused on our needs. It sounds like it is. Give us this day our physical needs, our daily bread. It's not focused on our needs because God knows what we need. We don't need to tell him what we need. It's rather focused on his kind and fatherly provision. The focus is on his provision. His providential care for the physical needs of his children. That's the focus. God is still the focus. Because this is not just a petition. It is an affirmation. It is a a confession. The whole idea here is is in a sense that, that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we're saying, God, your will in heaven is to care for your children. Do it. Feed us. Forgive us. Protect us. And that's really all we can ask for. What God has told us. So we don't, we don't pray for more than He has promised us. We don't pray for our physical wants. We Rather, we affirm that He will provide for our physical needs. There's a difference between praying for our wants and praying for our needs. And God tells us what our needs are, and He tells us He knows what they are. We don't have to create those. We don't have to make those up ourselves. Now, before I go more in that direction, there's an important correction or a tangent I need to take. Because I I taught on something back when that I I wouldn't teach now, and that is this, that we we don't pray to God as Jehovah Jireh when we're talking about our physical needs. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. It is true that God does provide all things. But where we hear, see Him called Jehovah Jireh is one place, and that's just Genesis 22, when He provides a sacrifice, replacing Isaac. And so Jehovah Jireh is not referencing physical needs. It's referencing a far greater need. It's, it's referencing uh, the, the, the provision for a life for our eternal souls, not simply provision for this earthly life. So so we call him, if we call him Jehovah Jireh to attach to our temporal earthly needs, it's far too small of a meaning. It's true he does provide. It's true all things come from him. We'll talk about that, but that's not that's not the sense in which this should be used. Okay. So we are to pray to God for provision for our physical needs. Now, remember, to pray in prayer, we're going to line our will up with God's revealed will in our lives. God has always provided bread for His people. We see that all the way back to Exodus 16, don't we? They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So they're out, they're grumbling. And the people of Israel said to them, What would what that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they would bring in, 
It will be twice as much as they gather daily. So God promised to send bread to feed his people. He was going to send bread every day, enough for that day. Except on Friday, he was going to send a double portion so that on Saturday they had food and wouldn't have to go out and get more food, that they would rest. But he was going to provide just as much as they needed for that day. So, uh, he, he uh, Exodus 16.31, Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept through your generations so that they may, be see, they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept through your generations. Take it and put it in the Ark of the Covenant. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land. So God provided bread, food for his people. 40 years. They often complained about it. He even gave them a lot of meat, so much it came out of their nostrils. But God provided. God always has and always will provide what his people need. Psalm 37, 25. I have been young and now I'm old. This is David. Dave said, look, I've, I've been around a long time. Yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. The righteous have food. God provides for his people. Why? He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Because God is always going to provide food for them. Turn away from evil and do good, so you shall dwell forever. Turn away from evil and do good, and God will provide. God will provide. And look, we'll continue to look at this, but God God provides for all people in certain ways. His common grace provides food and shelter for many people, but in a special way, God cares for his people. God will provide for the needs of his people. We are to pray that he would do that. We are to affirm the truth. We are to confess that. Luke 12, 28. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? God clothes the grass. He's going to clothe you. You're a whole lot more important to him than the grass. And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. Now, didn't Jesus just say, give us each day our daily bread? So we're, we're not seeking what we are to eat. We are simply affirming he will do that. He will do that. Nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after things. Everybody seeks after the things of this world. Instead, seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. As we seek God's kingdom to come in us and through us, He will care for our physical needs. God knows what we need. He knows of our physical needs. He will provide. So our prayer isn't one of worry or doubt or or commanding or telling Him, what he, what he has to do, he will do that. It's a prayer of confidence, of, of thankfulness and, and humility that he will provide. 
God speaking through Isaiah in Isaiah 45. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being, shalom, peace, soundness in body, health is what that means, and create calamity. God creates well-being, and he cares about our well-being. He promises he will. Job 12.10, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. God has promised to care for his family, his adopted sons and daughters. We pray with this understanding and this belief and this trust. Genesis 1, God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have another fruit. Every plant, every fruit. It's for you to eat. Genesis 9, every moving thing, the lips shall be food for you. Meat, vegetables, everything given to care for your physical lives, the physical lives of his image bearers. Genesis 8, 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God will keep sustaining life via planting of seeds and the harvesting of seeds, change of seasons, of 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 rain, of sunshine. We pray to God, thanking Him that He will provide for our physical needs, for our bodies. We trust Him. Luke twelve seven. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more value than many sparrows. Again, God knows what we need. We pray affirming that He knows what we need. And that He will provide for our needs. We pray not for our wants. We pray knowing He will provide for our needs. We pray for our needs, not our greeds. We pray for our needs, not our greeds. Because it's not really a problem here so much, although I think as we consider our prayers, we may find some of this. But what is the prosperity gospel all about? What What do they pray for? They don't pray for their needs. They pray for their greeds. They pray the prayer of Jabez. Increase my territory. We pray knowing that God has promised to provide for our needs and we are thanking Him for what He will do and has done. You know, pretty much every night my daughter, Sophia, prays, Dear God, thank You for thunder and lightning. Thank You for my family. Thank you for this day, and thank you for everything. Thank you for that tomorrow, and then she prays something that's going to happen tomorrow. That's a really great prayer if she were to mean that, believe that. God, thank you for thunder and lightning. Thank you for my family. Thank you for this day. Thank you for everything. Again, that's 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 a that's a, it's a it's a vain repetition for my daughter in many ways. But what she's praying, beloved, what a great prayer for us. But meaning it, meaning it. Who provided all these things? God did. Who gave you your family? that helps care for your physical needs.
we ought, we ought, I wish my daughter were truly humbled and thankful to God for what he has provided. We ought be. We, we, we ought be praying, claiming what God's promised to give us, acknowledging that's what he does, and thanking him for it. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. Vain repetition, but isn't it true? Is God not great? Great? Is God not good? Are we not thank Him for our food? But you know what? We kind of don't. We kind of just take that food thing for granted. We may thank Him for that steak, but probably not the spaghetti quite as much. As we seek God's kingdom to come in us and through us, he promises he will provide for us. Seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So Jesus is not teaching us to pray, give us each day our daily bread, as if he wouldn't if we didn't. But like everything else, he uses prayer to bring about the things he's promised, his decree, his will. So we pray, acknowledging and knowing God will provide. We also ought to pray, know, and pray for how God provides for us. This ought to be part of our prayer. Give us each day our daily bread. How God provides for us. Well, how does he provide for us? Well, he provides for us via nature, doesn't he? He provides for us via sunshine and rain, through through seeds and Harvest through reproduction of livestock, through reproduction of people. We pray that 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 this would this this would happen and that we're thankful for his kindness and his amazing plan. We've talked about it many times, but you put a seed in the ground and what comes from that is this big stalk with corn on it. You put two cows together and a seed is implanted and then another cow comes from it. God does all of that. He provides for us through, through nature. We, we won't yield any crop or any livestock that He doesn't provide for. He provides all of it. We don't take a breath without his provision. Give us this day my daily oxygen. He does, doesn't he? Who's going to draw their next breath but for the grace of God? No one. Really, this is true. This should affect how we pray. But see, we're too mature for that. We just take those things for granted. Another another way God provides for His people is through our labors. First Timothy five eight. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God uses us to provide for our households. 
especially men, but men and women. God uses us to provide for our households. We are to work to provide. So we ought to be praying for our labors, for our labors. We have to be praying for Brother John's labors, that he would provide for his household. We have to be thankful to God and praying that John would work diligently. Look at Paul's instructions to the Christians in Ephesus. Ephesians 4, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This is how we're to live amongst God's people in the church. This is how God provides for his people via his people. And listen, this is a change of heart that we should be praying in our own lives. In our own lives, we should be praying in our own hearts about the reality of, as we pray for God's provision, we are praying that we would be part of that solution. Not that you would be part of the solution, that we would be part of the solution, that I would be part of the solution, and you would be part of the solution. Because that's how God cares for His people. That's how He brings our bread. 2 Thessalonians 3, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. No such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. God's people will work to earn a living. To pray that God would provide and then not be willing to work would be a ridiculous prayer. To pray that God would provide for bread and then not be willing to, to work to help bread would be a ridiculous prayer. James 2.15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Pray that we, including you and your family, would provide for his people. Pray that you and we, but we include you, would be working to provide for his people. See, the thing is, we do have needs in this church from time to time, and we do fill them. But we don't have many. But you know one of the things I'm greatly blessed for is, we, blessed by, is we can send money to the brethren in Kenya. And we can do that because we work. And we know that we are to be providing for God's people because that's His economy. God provides for His people through His people. Pray that God's kingdom would come. His promised provision for His people would come via us. Do you find yourself praying concerning your work that you would have more to give? Or is it more to build a retirement plan? Or build a bigger house? We live in a culture that teaches us that. I used to work in a business. That's all I did. I wanted to be the guy, hey, give us this day our daily bread. Give me enough off my portfolio to pay my bills today that I don't have to touch my assets. Count on your financial advisor or your banker to send you your money instead of on God. 1 John three seventeen. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? 
The love of God is poured out on His people by His people. We ought not rely on the government to care for God's people. We should be praying for successful businesses, hardworking men and women, but hardworking men that Moses and Cyrus and Auma and their families could eat and could have shelter and could have transportation to get to and from church. Their basic needs would be met. And one of the ways their basic needs are met in God's providence is from the people of this church and the work and the labor that we do. See, the thought process behind praying God would provide each day our, us, our daily bread incorporates us being part of that solution, but that's not how we think naturally. We naturally think about working for us and ours. And ours don't go very far. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I, I firmly believe, and again, this is just me. This isn't, you know, well... I think Scripture would back this up, but we are headed towards a different time in this culture, this country, relatively soon. There is going to be God's judgment continuing to come upon this people group. And one of the ways I believe that's going to come is through financial wreckage. If so, we ought to be ready via prayer via lining our wills up with God's will, we should be prepared to live even more communally. Even more communally than we do now. We ought to be preparing ourselves to work hard, to labor in any way to provide for us, our families, this local, this local set of believers, and, and any others that we can. You know, I, I've said it for years, and it's just this is where it fits. If the Reeds have it, the Bolcomers will have it. If the Zoods have it, the Cunninghams will have it. If the Mianos have it, the Prizes will have it. And that's not how we think. And if there's only three guys left to work hard because everybody else has lost their job and we can't find work, those three guys are going to work hard that we all can eat. Pray that way. Pray that God would prepare our hearts for those things. Pray that He would would give us our daily bread. But how He gives it to that is He provides through nature. He provides through His people for His people. We pray affirming God will provide for our needs, not our greeds. We pray knowing and, 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 and manifesting, using His people to, to care for His people. So how much provision are we to pray for? Now, this is a pretty obvious answer. But whether you're in America or Kenya, how much ought we pray for? How much, what are our needs? And Scripture gives us some guidance. Proverbs 38, remove from me falsehood and life. Give me neither poverty nor riches. 
do we pray for riches? Do we pray? Do we ever think and pray, God, keep our country prosperous that we can remain prosperous? We we have a strong nation so that that we can have a good economy. Feed me with food that is needful for me. Not too much food, just enough. Just what I need. All of us can consider how we interact with food and how we, in our prayers, and how we interact with God concerning these things, how do we view food? He says, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? (laughs) I'm so content. I have so much physical care that I forget that I'm supposed to even share. I forget the Lord. I'm good. I'm good. My, my, I've got plenty of barns built. I'll eat and drink and be merry. I've got it all set. Or lest I be poor and steal and pervade the name of the Lord. Not too poor, not too rich. Now, most of us don't have to worry about being so poor we have to steal. Now, some of the brethren in Kenya, Kenya do have to be concerned about being that poor. Where they literally would not have food unless they made a shady business dealing. Or they went out and laid hands on a car to try to bless it for money. But too rich, probably. I remember again in 2010 when I was preaching to this, uh, I remember talking about the fact that the Reed family, we were overserved. We had too big of a house. We had too big of a house. And my prayer at that time was, let's sell it, which we couldn't seem to. But let it be used for you, God. Let you use this home, which brought... Stephanie, her children live with us, for instance. Brought people to live in our house. Brought lots of hospitality. We used to have everybody over and have fellowship and cookouts in the backyard with the entire church family. He also answered prayer by giving us a smaller home. And then he answered prayer by giving us another bigger home. So my father-in-law and mother-in-law could move in with us. And Jonathan could move in with us. All answered prayer. How much provision are we to pray for? Matthew six nineteen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like I talked about before, not that... You know, we go to our financial advisor for just enough for the day, or our banker, our bank account. That we don't check our 401k balances every day to see where they are. That we would we would rather make sure we we have something left when we die. Rather, we should be praying that we lay up treasures by growing God's kingdom. By caring for God's people. 
the, by, by providing for the needs of those who are bringing God's kingdom through salvation and sanctification. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body. This is so convicting. Is five shirts enough or do I need 50? Is my four-bedroom house big enough or do I need six? And how do I think when I pray? Honestly. What am I thinking about when I'm praying? What kind of provision is it that I think I need? I'm not saying not to be thankful for what God has given, but I am saying sometimes we we couch this thankfulness in this, this comfort that we have from all the stuff that we acquire. Don't... See, these things can get in the way of seeking God's kingdom, can't they? Look, I'll throw myself at the top of the list so nobody else has to feel bad. How often do I get on Amazon to look at golf shirts? How often do you see and find that perfect skirt or dress? Or hat or shoes or whatever it is. Go all over town to find the perfect thing. It gets in the way of seeking His kingdom, can it not? All the provision that we have, all that we think that we need. He knows what we need. He tells us what we need. We ought not be really praying for provision at all. Because God will provide. We ought to be praying for for growth in His kingdom via sanctification and salvation. And what we want to eat for, what we want our physical needs to be cared for is not for our comfort, but for the advancement of His kingdom. We, don't, we aren't trained like that in our nature or in this country. We are trained to store up provisions for our comfort. But seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Don't be distracted by these earthly things. Prayer that we not be distracted by these earthly things as inside of give us each day our daily bread. Each day, enough for that day. Give us that. We know you will. That, that thinking inside of that is that we would not be distracted. Please pray for me that I not be distracted by the things of this earth. I will pray for you in the same manner. We are all health, wealth, and prosperity preachers at some level. James 4, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So, I'm not saying that anyone in this room sits down and says, give me a yacht in prayer. But I would suggest we ought to say, take away my desire for that yacht. God, that I would not desire that next set of golf clubs or that new fishing pole or that new skirt, or that new kitchen utensil that I just have to have. That would be part of our prayer. Back it down. Pray for me that it would be back down. That I'd be content with my bread for today. 
And I would trust God to provide that till the day I breathe my last when he takes me home. And for now, he's going to provide those things for me for the advancement of his kingdom, not for my pleasure. Yes, we can enjoy what he gives us. That's not why it's given. Unless it is we're making much of God. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What does the world tell us to have? Better golf clubs, better cars, better boats, nicer clothes. That's, that's friendship with the world. That's what we are after. We ought not be praying for any worldly Wealth, any lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And because we're not praying in the affirmative for that, we ought to be praying against that desire in our hearts. Please pray for me that way. For us that way. We have to be praying for a change of heart concerning our generosity for those in need. And that's everybody in here, the wealthy of us, of us to the poorest of us. And I always think of Moses. I don't know why Moses Chege. He goes to, uh, where's he go, Tyler? Congo, because they're poorer there than he is. He doesn't now because they don't have the means to do it. He used to send money to the Congo. Look at Moses' life. Why are you sending money to anybody? Because he, he seems to be a man that's content with his needs being met. His needs, not his greeds. Spurgeon says, Give us, O Lord, what we really need, not that which would be a luxury, but that which is a necessity. Give us, according, to as, according as we shall need it day by day, what she will then actually need our daily bread. We are not warranted in asking much more than this in temporal matters. They are all comprehended in this petition as far as they are necessary. But God has not given us carte blanche to ask for wealth or honor or any such dangerous things. There is no harm in asking for bread, and He will give us that. We ought to think about praying more to give and praying less about spending on ourselves as God provides for us each day. I mean, Paul talks about it in his letter to the Corinthians. Uh, I don't know, probably don't even, but the guy, one of the guys I used to golf with, very wealthy man, one time had a hundred million dollar net worth, and and on his on his behind his desk it said, "He who dies with the most toys wins." And he had them all, motorcycles and houses and boats and a plane, and man, he was buying toys because he really believed he who had the most toys when they die wins. Do we live like that ever? We who have the most treasures in heaven win. We who have grown God's kingdom through the gospel going forth. And that doesn't mean just you doing it. It means the support of that. 
You who have grown in sanctification to the glory of God and made Him look good, that's who wins. But we don't think like that in our nature. We ought to be praying about that. These, these, these provisions that we have become distractions. It's really hard to maintain a $100 million net worth, by the way. You've got a lot to look after. You can't spend it fast enough either. God is going to provide what we need. He is going to provide for His people via His people. We, we, are, we are prone to use God's provision for our greed, not others' needs. We should be praying differently. He, we should be praying that He will use us to provide for us. Finally, we ought to pray remembering that it is God who provides everything. As we pray for our daily bread, just enough for today, we remember God provides, we don't. Now, everybody's going to nod their heads, but actually praying that we remember that God provides, we don't. He uses you to provide for your household. He uses you to provide for the needs of this church. But God does that, not you. Tony, He uses you to proclaim the gospel, but God does that, not you. Yes, we are faithful. Yes, we will work. Voice thought his, thought his voice was going out. Lose your voice and see how well you get out there and proclaim the gospel in the streets. God does that. Jay, be like my father with no, no my father-in-law with no ability with dementia, no ability to use his lower half of his body. See how much you can produce. Pray with that understanding. 1 Corinthians 4, For see, who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Name me one thing you have that you did not receive. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Why do you act like it's yours? Why do you act like it's yours? You received it from God. It's not yours. God has provided us with lots, beloved. We oughtn't act as if though we did that on our own. We must remember our wealth, our ability to acquire is not ours. It's been given us by God. We should pray that way. I'm, this is sincere and legitimate. I just looked out and saw Josh. I regularly thank God for Josh's skills to build that God's given him. And that he would use them for God's kingdom. Because I'm, like, I'm, I got none of that. Couldn't build a house for a million bucks. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that Pastor Nick actually has a, a passion to help people sleep better. And, and God's given him some giftedness to be able to sell those things to those people. And that, that he would do that to build some wealth not for him, for his family, and for the kingdom of God. But I'm thankful God's given him that. Jason does stuff with computers. I, I can't even get on a Google search myself. I got Yahoo searches coming up on my computer. I can't fix it. I'm confident he could spend five minutes at my house and it would be done. I'm thankful for that. I hope that's used for God's kingdom. And I pray that way for us. 
We looked at it, well, we look at it often. First Chronicles 29, both, verse 12, Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer thus willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. The bread that we're given is given by God. Yes, all the physical provision that we're given is given by God, including all the abilities and skills that we have to produce wealth. It's all His. It honestly is. Pray that you would think that way, that we would think that way. By the way, it's not mine. I say what's Jason's mine, his is mine. He has to steward that. But it's God's, Jason. It's not yours. God has given it to you. You have ownership of that property in the eyes of God and the eyes of this land. But it's not, it's not yours. It's yours to steward. It's God's. He gave it all to you. Pray that we would think that way so we would more rightly utilize those resources for his purposes. Whatever those are. We, we are to pray remembering all of our possessions, all of our abilities are God's. And He has provided that we can be humble, we can be generous, we can be selfless in how we steward ourselves and our stuff. Pray that way. It's His stuff. It's His might and power. Is, is this God's or is it yours? We looked at Deuteronomy 8 this morning. I'll go all the way down to verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. That's just not true. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall perish. Listen, I, I've said it before, but, but if, if God takes away my ability to think and logic, I will no longer be able to stand in this pulpit and preach. But He has, and He does, and I'm to use that to preach the Word of God. But, but I make no mistake about where that comes from. Do we, do we take time to ask God to meet our physical needs or do we at least give thanks for them? Do we, you know, again, we say, we say grace before most meals, don't we? It's just kind of a key to say let's eat. If we don't remember in prayer... Give us each day our daily bread, that it's God who's doing that and that he will provide for our needs. We will slowly but surely drift away from remembering where that comes from. And then we'll start acting like the stuff's ours. And then we'll start actually living like it's for our benefit and our pleasures and our comforts. 
We'll stop trusting in God and we'll start trusting in ourselves. This is a matter of prayer that Jesus tells us to pray. God, give us each day our daily bread. Care for our physical needs. You know what they are. Not only don't pray for our greeds, take away my greeds, God. Remove them from me. Consider others better than myself. Starting in my own home. Had this discussion a hundred times with many men. We tend to control the budget, so we can tend to control we we can maybe buy a fifty dollar something that we really want, but we can't let our wives or our children have a fifty dollar something they want that isn't needed. Don't be that kind of a man. Thomas Watson, if all is a gift from God, do you see the odious ingratitude of men who sin against their giver? God feeds them, and they fight against them. Thus ungratefully do sinners deal with God. They not only forget His mercies, but they abuse them. We should pray we not be that way. That we not take all these gifts from God. He gives us our daily bread and we turn around and we sin against Him. See, part of give us this day our daily bread, part of what we're praying is we're, we're acknowledging this, this our Father who's going to be made late, great, whose kingdom's going to come in us and through us. We're acknowledging God, this, this sovereign God who's so kind to us and good to us and provides for us that it would keep us from sinning against us, Him. Him. Uh, Jeremiah 5, 7. How can I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me and have sworn by those who are no gods. When I fed them to the full, they committed adultery and trooped to the houses of whores. Remembering that God gives us things will keep us connected to our need for Him, for our provision of just our, our, day, our physical needs, and keep us from sin. Act like you did it yourself. Forget it's God who's providing. It's easy to slip away. Luther, like food, health, good weather, a house, a home, wife, children, good government, and peace is a way of saying, Lord, if I'm to survive physically, you have to be the source of my survival. And again, It's not the necessities of life. It doesn't talk about what kind of house or what kind of food or what quality of life. It just says, Lord, sustain my life because I cannot advance your kingdom. I cannot do your will. I cannot honor your name. I cannot bring you glory unless I am alive. Keep me alive today, God, that I can make your name great. Not provide for my comfort so I feel better for another day and enjoying all the pleasures of this world. Everything comes from God. Closing thought. God promises to provide for the physical needs of His people. When we pray, we should acknowledge His provision and petition petition for enough provision for today. We should pray that He would provide for us through us. We ought not pray for enough to make us comfortable or independently wealthy. Rather, enough that we can focus on His kingdom's work to make His name great as He provides.
Our prayer ought not focus on our needs, rather his, his provision and his ownership of all things. I hope we'll all pray like my daughter and understand it and mean it. Thank you, God, for this day. That I can be used by you that you would look great. I've heard a person around here say this, something like this before. Use this food to nourish our bodies, to strengthen us for the work of your kingdom. Use this food to nourish our bodies, to strengthen us for the work of your kingdom. Let's mean that. Use your provision to keep me alive to advance your kingdom. God is great. God is good. Let let us thank Him for our food. Let's mean it. You know how many times I've heard that said? Probably how many times I've said it before. So, I believe you could pray the model prayer and pray this actual prayer and mean it. And it wouldn't be a vain repetition. But we ought to mean it. We have to understand what we're praying and we ought to understand what we pray when we say give us each day our daily bread and what we're praying for, what we're acknowledging and what we're praying against. We're asking God for grace to go against. And that is give us this day all my greed would want. Make me comfortable. Make me hit that driver farther. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this prayer. I am thankful that you do provide for us all that we need. We are, in my household, in my life, you provide far more than I need. Father, forgive me for when I I think of those needs, those, those wants in my life, those greeds as needs. Help me, Father, to to turn away from that heart. Make my heart more generous. More generous to your work. Your kingdom coming. Father, help me to help us all to work. To work that we can be part of the solution to care for your people. Father, help us to have an us mentality. An us mentality that includes you, your son, your spirit, and all of your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and sing hymn 410, the Lord's Prayer. 410.